As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to I'm Not Steve Kerr on the Believe Podcast Network. Now here are your hosts, the Resh Brothers. Colin and Scott. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. They are. That's the revetting. So you can see that's a synthetic that we're using. We lay them almost like bricks, uh, and we use a modified mortar mix behind it that helps you know protect it. Most revetted bunkers in Scotland Island have maybe a seven to you know ten year lifespan. These will last 30 years if they're, you know, if they're maintained properly. Welcome, everyone. After a brief hiatus over the holidays, we are back. Yes, it's episode 11. I'm not Steve Kerr on the Believe Podcast Network. What you just heard or saw, if you're checking this out on our YouTube page, is our guest today, Mark Logan, telling my 11-year-old son, Liam, about the revetted bunkers that he's installing at a course that is... Uh, very soon going to be hailed as an instant design classic. That's what I think. That's my opinion after after checking it out for two hours. Well, more on that in a minute, but first some intros. Scott is here. He's in Park City, Utah, which means that it is the season of zero golf, but a lot of skiing. Right, Scott? Although you wouldn't know it at the moment. We haven't had much snow lately this year. Uh, uh, very strange start to the winter. Yeah, I wow. shouldn't have put those golf clubs away so fast. Uh, all right. Scott has, uh, you know, tons of experience when it comes to witnessing and reporting on new golf course designs from many years of media relations work, mostly in, in Southeast Asia. Uh, Mark, he is also a golf course raider, so keep that in mind. You might want to get on his good side right now. <laughs> I'll, I'll work on that. Uh, actually, you guys sound a little half Australian, so two halves make a whole. So I'm feeling like we've got two Aussies here. It's great. Oh, and mate. Yeah, you do, right? We <laughs> talked about this. this is, uh, part of, exactly. Part of the draw here is, yeah, Scott and I, our mother's Australian. Half of our relatives are sprinkled all over um, the continent, the country. Um, so, yeah, half Aussies and, and the full Aussies. So this is going to be a lot of fun for us. But, Mark, we're thrilled to welcome you to the program. Um, where do we find you today? You're in an office. Are you at Carica Park in Alameda? 
I am. I'm in my office here, um, ducking away for basically uh, half an hour to, to an hour off the uh, construction side of the new North Course. So uh, it's great just to have a few, um, you know, 30, 40 minute downtime and uh, be able to chat to you guys. It's a good uh, relaxation from the normal uh, pace of building a golf course. Well, I want to delve right into the North Course, okay? This is everyone, at least locally in the Bay Area, and, and those from afar that know what you are doing there right now. I just thought it was so interesting. One, I want to thank you for welcoming me, my son Liam. He was, he's one of these kids, right? You, you met him. He's so interested in golf course design as an 11-year-old. I really want to kind of harness that um, interest and that ambition, and you were kind enough to welcome us for two hours. We walked the front nine. Um, um, before you had to take off and we had to take off and, and my friend Wayne joined us as well. But man, what a great day that was for us. And, and you really broke down everything for us and what you're creating there. Uh, I think is going to be an instant masterpiece, um, especially in the Bay area. And it's going to draw huge numbers right away. Tell everyone where you're at in the process now, when a finished product can be expected because you're, you're more than halfway there. Yeah. So we're, we're little, uh, the front nine's completely grassed out um, as of uh, basically um, earlier this week, we finished some uh, tees that we sorted out after they were laser leveled. We have four holes left to shape um, and basically detail in irrigation and drainage. So we're, we're on the final stretch, as they say, uh, you can smell the finish line, which is a really great thing after seven years of construction. Um, the finish line can't get close enough for me. It's been a long, uh, hard haul, but uh, I'm really excited and happy with the way the North Course has turned out. You know, when we started, uh, anybody that knows Alameda, it's a flat uh, island city. And, um, you know, this property is a fantastic piece of property. The weather here is a bit like my uh, state um, uh, my home state in Australia, basically of Melbourne, um, the weather's nearly identical. I actually, there's a, uh, a system called the Copen climatic charting system. It was developed by Melbourne university for viniculture. And it was used to sort of use for uh, viniculturists all over the world to match up climate, obviously grapes and wine is the important thing. So I use it to sort of match up, see how Alameda fared against Melbourne and mm. nearly identical uh, temperatures, except Melbourne gets one more inch of rain per year. So, mm. you know, being able to use grasses that uh, were uh, used in some of the sandbelt golf courses in Melbourne, that would be drought tolerant, less chemical, less fertilizer, much more fun for playing golf on. It was really the ideal place. Um, the weather was fantastic. The site was probably less than fantastic. It was mm. dead flat. This is a 330 acre property. It's a 45 hole golf course. Um, we raised and contoured, obviously, the south course with uh, my good friend, Rhys Jones. Um, and uh, on the north course, uh, this Australian architect, uh, unheralded, uh, as they say, uh, <laughs> thought he'd give it a go. And Up and coming. I, I, up and coming, exactly. <laughs> what I wanted to do was, is I thought, if you go down to the Alameda foreshore, which is just, if anybody hasn't been there, you've got to go down. It's absolutely spectacular. Walking on the, on South shore there is absolutely gorgeous. There's the soft dune system, you know, basically facing the bay. So that gave me an idea of, you know, if this site was like that back in the 1920s or, you know, early 1900s when this golf course was originally built, the North course, um, 
what would it have looked like and you know what could you do if the site was this spectacular site because you know most every architect dreams about walking onto a fantastic site we've seen sheep ranch open up uh basically last year which is a spectacular right site. here right here uh, scott's yep, got the hat you got it you got it exactly <laughs> mm-hmm. um and you know they didn't need to do a whole lot right there the the site had all the natural features interest um it's pretty hard to beat the uh, obviously the Pacific Ocean right there. Maybe the Indian Ocean might beat it, but uh, um, that's an Aussie <laughs> pump there on that one. But you know, it's it's just it's hard to beat. So the landforms are what you know golf course architects look for. Some of the great architects, you know, of, uh, back in sort of the beginning of the golden age, they had these pristine properties. Old Tom Morris when he started basically doing his design work in the uh, sort of mid uh, 1875s. Um, you know, sites were basically pure. They were very raw um, and organic, as they say. So I thought if I filled the site and I created those sort of contours and believable, like a believable dune system like we have down there on the foreshore and then carve the golf holes out into it to create the interest, um, I thought we'd have something, you know, that would work out pretty well. Um, lo and behold, it's actually probably turned out a little better than I'd expected. Um, some of the uh, natural contours and shaping, uh, that uh, aerial picture from the drone shot I took and sent to you uh, the other night, mm-hmm. uh, it just looks absolutely incredible. We were able to capture a very natural feeling. There'll probably be golf raters and riders that will come to this property and think we inherited this fantastic piece of property when in fact we had virtually nothing other than the routing um and some ponds that we didn't basically alter um that's really what we started with so everything that is now contoured out there has been man-made and it's a it's a lot of work to you actually have to you know the minimalistic design movement which is very popular today you know architects like tom doak and cool crenshaw and um, Gil Hans and um, you know many of the you know great modern architects that are doing minimalistic work. What I had to do was I had to touch everything to feel like I touched nothing. So mm. in actual fact, um, for the average person, they don't realize you know when you walk on a place like Sheep Ranch where you go, oh this thing's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, when people come and play the North Course and they hopefully will feel, you know, obviously a different site and setting, but feel the, the actual rawness of the site. We had to man-made and you know, manufacture every portion of that. So I think, you know, there's a, a real um, process that, you know, we looked at it in three different ways. As I said, we started off with, you know, building the site. What would it look like back in a, in its raw state? Then putting the golf holes into it. Then, you know, unlike the you know sort of the golden age we've been a little bit more conservative on greens we wanted to have the greens fast and firm like we have on the south course which is synonymous with sandbelt golf in australia so we wanted if you played 36 holes we want you to be able to go out on the south course the north course have a great fun time not have to change your putting stroke important for guys like scott that are really good players Mm -hmm. um that's a lot of fun you know the contouring of some of you know the old classic golf courses was very in for modern golf and the modern technology and green speeds and you know obviously um the uh technology in the game with balls and and clubs um is dramatically different so i think you know the golf course its defense is the green so i wanted to have these fantastic green complexes that would complement the south golf course and i think we're on track um Ron Witten, um, former uh, basically Golf Digest uh, senior architect editor, was out um, 
and he's working with me a little bit, uh, making sure I don't go completely off the rails. I <laughs> see, uh, you know, stay in the golf corridors if you want, because sometimes you can overthink it. And I didn't want, I wanted to make sure that I didn't get repetitious. I did uh, create an interesting golf course. It's only going to be between 6350 and 6400 yards, which in modern terms isn't long. But I think, you know, with the firmness of the golf course, the contouring, mm-hmm. the interest that we've got, it'll be a great. Uh, golf course and if you want to play commuters in they can play, want to play as a par 70 there's that capability it'll just be a golf course that whether you're a great player you've got to pick the right lines to be able to score well even though that's the fairways will be some 70 acres of actual fairway or uh, you know fairway cut surface um, which is a pretty big area most golf courses you know average around between 25 to sort of 40 uh, so having 70 acres is a lot of uh, fairway cut grass but there's these landing areas within the contouring that you want to be at. So for the better player, they want to aim land in those areas. That gives you mm-hmm. a good line to the green, to the pin. Um, for the average player or for the higher handicapper uh, and seniors, you've got all this fairway that, you know, it's pretty hard to hit a, uh, not hit a 120 yard, 130 yard wide fairway. So um, there's a lot of fun to keep advancing the ball. And maybe, you know, you're playing, Colin, you're playing with Scott and you're not hitting the ball as well. And he's hitting <laughs> the ball really well. And you get a little bit of the rub of the course. You yeah. know, there's that opportunity on a golf course like this too, which I think is a lot of fun. It brings what I call the triple F uh, into the design component. It's sort of firm, it's fast, and it's fun for everybody. And and that changes the game. It doesn't matter how far you hit the ball. It matters sometimes, you know, um, even if you hit a bad shot, you may be able to get a bit of the rub of the course, roll on. You might get, you know, basically some favorable bounce that may actually help you. So, you know, sometimes that's a good thing. A lot of golf today with the longer roughs and the you know sort of softer conditions you don't have that ability and i think that that's what we want to create here at cricket park is just fun for everybody and when it comes to standing up to sort of the better players i think the firmness will be great defense in the greens with the contouring and the firmness of the greens will certainly defend it you know the golf course admirably and if you play well hey you should score well you know, and that, that's the thing, too, about, um, you know, courses like that, that you're describing that makes it um, for, for, for any player um, fun. You want to continue to go back to a course, right? You don't want to be bored of it. Play it once. I'm done. Never going back there. So right. having these kind of elements where you've you've got the more you play it, the more you understand the backstops that exist the angles to come in from, um, you know, how a ball might roll out and, and, and end up in a collection area. Well, you know, next time, um, you know, you step out there that that's, that's there and that's, that's a possibility. So, you know, and that, that kind of makes the game fun each time you, you go back and play a course like that. Definitely. You know, one of the things, you know, being Aussie and, you know, um, golf and all sports is sort of in our foundation of uh, as a country. And, you know, we're fanatic sports players. And since you guys are half Aussie, I'm sure, you know, you're half fanatics, you know, basically. So uh, that's a good thing, right? Um, yeah. but we, we align it to like a, a good pub. You know, you go to a pub and you really enjoy yourself there. You've got your favorite spot and everything like that. It's just enjoyable to come back to and just spend time there. A golf course should be like that. It shouldn't be like, oh, my God, I 
just played 18 holes, I got completely destroyed. Even if you don't have a good day, you should still, you know, have some fun and enjoy the day. And I think, you know, golf today, you know, 75, 7,700 yard golf courses, 7,800 yard golf courses longer. That might be great for the elite golfer, but for the average person, it's just way too much. And it's not any fun anymore. And, you know, we've proven in this sort of mad world of COVID that, you know, being outside, being in the sun, being able to walk and enjoy yourself out in a golf that has natural social distancing, a sport that has natural social distancing, it's really, um, you know, the ideal place to be. And golf, hopefully, will continue to get this positive boost from, you know, the advantages of playing golf, the health benefits. The doctors all say, hey, walking is one of the, uh, you know, you want to prolong your life 10 years, you should walk and do some moderate exercise. No better way than to play golf. Well, I was going to say, you know, Mark, because I walked the front nine with you, um, and I think I said it that day, I am already thinking about playing my second round there. Because as you just alluded to, uh, and Scott kind of touched on it as well, because of how you've shaped this course, the course knowledge is going to come into play. And the more you play that, the more fun it's going to become. So I'm already looking past my first round, which is going to be fun, but I think it's going to grow in the fun factor the more you play it. And that is what, what is so exciting to me. It, there's only 25 bunkers on the course. The revetted bunkers, as we mentioned at the, the beginning video when you were walking with Liam. And I'm going to uh, incorporate all this video into our webcast that's on our YouTube page. So if you're just listening to the podcast, be sure to check it out because I took tons of video and you're going to be able to get a, a good idea of what this course is about and how it could potentially play. It's pretty exciting to look at uh, up close and personal as I had the opportunity to do. But Scott, I know you, you've got so many questions for Mark here, so fire away. I do. You know, I think just the first one, though, I'm kind of curious – you know, how you ended up in the States, Mark, and, you know, you taught, you, I think you said earlier that you've been on this project for seven years, so obviously 45 holes of golf to design, um, you know, th that makes sense, but uh, how does, how does that, being in that position, um, um, you know, affect um, what you're able to to touch um, when it comes to other projects? Do you just sort of put any other opportunities on hold for a while or, or how does that work? Well, um, like most Aussies, we're probably a little um, insane. We tend to, you know, basically try to do as much as we possibly can. Obviously within reason, you don't want to, you know, go outside your bandwidth or your scope of uh, ability. But, you know, I've been over here for, you know, it's my 22nd year in the States and so, um, I'm not sure if I could call my uh, one of you guys totally yet, but maybe I'm half now. So, <laughs> yeah. You, know, yeah. you guys are Aussie, I might be half American. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm working that way. I'm never going to give my accent up, though, because I think it works for me. Um, you know, if I'm talking, it's a bit like the Scottish at the, at the bar in the afternoon. You go to St. Andrews, you go to the Dunvegan, and you have a couple of toddies and a scotch, and you go... I don't know what he said, but it sounded really good. So you know, that's why I'm going to keep my accent for a little bit longer. But, um, you know, in seriousness, um, yeah, it it is difficult um, trying to get to other projects. I've clocked up a lot of miles in the last uh, 20 years, flying all over the world, flying all over the country, working with golf courses. But, you know, it's a sport that I love. Uh, and it's a business that I've enjoyed from the very t first time I started in it. And so um, I 
uh, enjoy it. The moment I stop enjoying it is the, probably the time I, I won't want to do that. But I you know I've worked 60 hours a week for seven years uh, just on this project. And so it doesn't phase me one little bit. It's a, it's a labor of love if you want. And you know, when you enjoy something, the time uh, goes so quickly, the day mm-hmm. goes so quickly before the end of it. I'm fortunate I've got my son and, and a brother and I've got some really fantastic people that I work with. So um, it goes pretty quick. We've got an unbelievable shaper, um, Dave Dow, who I've known since uh, I did a project called Maya Karma back in uh, yeah. 99, 2000. And uh, Dave uh, worked there and he's been a friend and an associate. And uh, he just, he's just a ph- phenomenal guy. He's difficult like most shapers, but he's just such an, uh, an artist and a talented guy. And it's a pleasure to work with guys like that. And having my brother and my son as well, they can keep you sort of grounded and uh, you know, beat you into you know, thinking a little differently. So for me, um, it's an enjoyment and being able to spend the time out there and uh, you know, do the things. And obviously working with Reese, I'd work with Reese on a number of other projects before I did the South course and working with Reese and Reese is a good friend. It's uh, it's always enjoyable working with people that you like to spend time with. Do you want to be mentioned in the same breath as the names that you've rattled off the Reese Jones, the Tom Dokes? Do you want to be mentioned with those guys? Uh, you know, the success of what I do will be um, basically measured of how long the golf course is here. You know, um, there's some great architects um, that I've mentioned and all of them have had golf courses disappear from the landscape. I think that, you know, mm. the the key to any golf course is success long-term. And obviously that makes, you know, it has to make some financial sense. It's got to be enjoyable. It's got to be something you want to play over and over again. And you want people to come back to Scott's point. If you don't come back, you know, um, you know even though there's a lot of golfers, you know, you know, in the United States, you still want to have your core group of golfers that can want to come out and you're sort of your basis uh, for your business, like any business, like a pub uh, or a restaurant, you always have your, you know, your locals or your your clientele that like to frequent that um, spot. So certainly that to me will be the success of the golf course. You know, if people really enjoy um, from a design or artistic standpoint of the North course, that's just a bonus. Um, like I said, I just want people to come out here to Cricket Park, play 36 holes and go, God damn, I can't wait to come back again. And that's really, that'll be the success. That'll be my success story. I think you should add some Australian flags to the North Course, Mark. I think the pubs, you, you should have the option to, to order a midi. Uh, I think you should have Resh's beer on tap. I don't know if you've ever had Resh's. It's an Australian beer. Um, what's some other ones? You know, uh, Australianize this place for us. <laughs> yeah, meat pies. <laughs> Come I, on, I, guys. I, I, I would love a meat pie and a pasty, but I'm not sure if you guys, you know, your hot dogs and things like that, but you warp up them too much. So I wouldn't want all those pies sitting there for that long. Right. And then when it comes to beer, we got so many beers over there that, uh, you know, you, I don't know if I could rattle them off. I mean, everybody thinks Foster's is the, you know, right. is obviously the Aussie beer, but yeah. uh, it's not my preferred no. beer. Um, but, you know, there's certainly a case. And then since we've got the South Course, you could say that Australia is in the Southern Hemisphere. So we could probably push it a little bit that way. So, you know, I'll take that under advisement and consider that uh, for when we get both courses open. Hey, at the, at, the very, at the very least, you got a Sandbelt-style course or courses there. Get some VB in there, Victoria Bitter. 
that's that's the you, least now, you now you're talking and, and actually i got a, just a quick little uh funny story i was doing a project with reese jones in florida and his uh, uh master shaper uh had to have a coors light every afternoon and i said to him i said oh, do you want a vb and uh, i gave him two and i had to drive him home so uh <laughs> I, he wasn't quite used to the strength of the vb so maybe i might take it it'd have to be a slow introduction to it we'd have to limit how many we give out or sell out yeah. <laughs> well, well you're talking a minute it. ago about longevity mark and it's kind of goes to one of the questions i'd, I'd written down here that i wanted to pose and that's you know I, I know having you know worked in the business myself a little bit that no course owner likes to close their course down for a redesign you know but every owner likes big rois right so i've got to think that greenway clients tend to see a full return on their investment pretty quickly um is that accurate given how much you save them on water and maintenance costs and all those things? It is. Um, you know, it's certainly uh, it's helpful. You know, golf is a tough business. Um, you know, it's really um, requires a lot of thought, a lot of planning, a lot of effort and implementation. And, you know, certainly Greenway's got that experience, you know, um, a bit like old Tom Morris. My beginnings um, were sort of very humble in the, uh, you know, in the, obviously maintenance side of it, if you want the greenkeeping side of it. Uh, and so I understand that very well. And that's obviously the single largest expense on most golf courses. So we certainly have an advantage understanding that over um, many other organizations, just because that's sort of the foundation, that's a strength. And certainly it's an important component. Any golf course that doesn't, can't pay the bills, um, doesn't last too long. And if you look at how many golf courses we've lost, you know, nationally across the country, you know, you know, nearly pushing 2000 uh, in the last sort of five years, it's almost tragic. There's been some fantastic golf courses disappear from the landscape. And that's always been around. There's been golf courses, fantastic golf courses, Lido golf course, uh, back in the day that disappeared, um, uh, you know, um, some Mackenzie golf courses disappeared. The one that was in Queens, uh, you know, uh, Bayside, all those have disappeared, unfortunately. So it's certainly very important component that, you know, golf uh, makes financial sense. And it's got to make sense to the consumer as well. It's got to be enjoyable. It's got to be at the right price point. Uh, all those things um, are a key element. And when we um, sort of sat down at this property. That was certainly a fundamental um, discussion that we had when we started about the improvements on this property. Of what do we want to do? How do we want to do it? What are the objectives? What are the savings we want to get? And we want to keep you know the price point reasonable so that you know players of all caliber have got accessibility to this property. Have any opportunities or potential opportunities popped up? in the wake of COVID and, and the popularity of golf, you know, it's, it's sort of surge over this last year in popularity. Um, yeah, there's always uh, opportunities popping up. Um, do they, you know, do, once you do start doing due diligence on them, do they make sense? That's sort of the key element gotcha. that we sort of go through the review process. And certainly, you know, there's still golf courses, even in this fantastic, you know, upbeat in COVID in terms of, you know, um, golf participation, there's still uh, golf courses struggling on the vine, utility costs, you know, labor costs going up, uh, raw materials going up. So it, it is something that really needs to be thought through. You know, when Colin talked about 25 bunkers, we want to go back to a simplistic time in sort of the golden age where labor was and budgets weren't very large. We want to keep it raw and natural. And again, part of that was in the overall thinking of what do we need to do to this 45 hole property uh, to have a sustainable business? Are those eucalyptus trees on the property? They are. You know, yeah. um, unfortunately, um, 
some smart Aussie sold them to you guys and uh, he made a bit of money off them because they used them for wood for the railways. Figured out pretty quickly they weren't the right ones. So uh, <laughs> I don't know which, which Aussie it was, but he was probably a pretty sharp guy. <laughs> Um, I just really yeah. quickly want to talk about the end date again, uh, what you project for the North Course when you hope to have it open to the public. Yeah, so our initial plans were sort of set back a bit. COVID, yeah. um, obviously, in construction, um, has sort of set back some materials. Uh, manufacturing slowed down. Um, because I'm bringing in soil to basically raise and sand to contour the golf course, mm -hmm. that slowed off a little bit too. So all those things have made it a bit more challenging, but we're on target to sort of get nine holes open in the summer of this year, the front nine, and then the back awesome. nine next year in 2022. Um, obviously, we've put in a grass um, hybrid Bermuda on the fairways, tees, and green surrounds on the north course, and it's a warm season grass, so we only get growth in the summertime. So um, we don't get any growth or much growth during the cooler months. So uh, that, you know, adds to the time frame as well. And, you know, back in the sort of golden age of golf course, it wasn't unrealistic for a golf course to take three to five years to sort of build and open. So, you know, if we're using that as a model uh, yeah. golden age design and, and sort of that philosophy, it's not unusual to have a golf course take longer to build. And so it also gives you an opportunity. Reese always made this point to me is that it gave you an opportunity to tweak and fine tune and adjust things. Sometimes, you know, you see it, it on paper at work, but when we put it in the field, it didn't quite work. And we it gives you a chance to tweak that and make some changes to it to fit right and to work right so that it, it sort of has a really unique feel and it, it complements the whole, whatever it is, a contour, a green. You know, I've seen plenty of golf courses and I'm sure there's architects out there and golf course builders that have had golf courses where, you know, have a design plan and it doesn't quite fit and they sort of they force it in to fit and it never quite fits i'm sure scott you've seen yeah. golf courses like oh, yeah. that um this gives you an opportunity to rework that a little bit because you've got some time to consider that you know and sometimes you just don't have that your schedules are so intense and you've got to get the golf course you know constructed and open and obviously revenue is important or or you know uh, it's part of a housing development that's a key component to the housing development so you don't always have that opportunity and having the time to be able to do that i can certainly say we've done tweaks and changes that we've sort of looked back stepped back and said oh that's not quite right that works a little bit better and as the golf holes unfolded we've added a little bit more into it i think it just creates a few more interesting features and natural points that you know the player especially the accomplished player will really appreciate we have about six, seven minutes left here, but uh, Mark, Scott and I are both interested in, in how you got into this. And go back to your, your youthful days in Australia and your ties to Royal Melbourne, um, because I think it's it's worth noting in, in a story that people should hear. How does someone like my son, that's why he wanted to come meet with you, right, was how do you get into this? And, and meeting with you, obviously, I think was a, a integral first step for him. But for you, what was it? Um. My mother um, had six kids, and so, you know, we'd drive her crazy. Um, so she basically banished us all out to work. And fortunately, um, 
we lived in uh, Sandringham, which is just basically a stone throw away from some of the greatest uh, golf courses all around that Royal Melbourne, uh, Kingston Heath, all those golf courses are, are right there. Um, mm-hmm. So Sandringham uh, public golf course, all of that is just in that fantastic sand belt. So um, my brother, next brother down from me got banished to a bakery. My older brother got banished into a <laughs> shop. Uh, I got fortunately got put it into the golf course work. So, uh, uh-huh. and I enjoyed it so much that I, um, when I finished my education, I um, got a, a, a couple of degrees in horticulture and in botany that uh, I felt were important as a basis. And uh, I got to work with a genius um golf course builder his name was jeff osman he was just uh, unbelievable he was uh, he was one of those guys that um when i worked with him i got i had an um sort of a, a, an epiphany of how golf courses should be built and all the components that went to it and back in those days there wasn't a golf course construction company we had to do everything ourselves so learning from him was probably one of the single greatest experiences and obviously you know growing up in Sandbelt Australia those two key factors probably shaped my destiny so there you go Colin banish Liam to the golf course I can do so, that you know I can do that or you or you've got to have another five kids mate uh, so that <laughs> yeah. you really are, I cannot uh, do that I cannot do that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, a question that just uh, popped to mind, Mark, out of curiosity, when you're lurking around, say, the patio area of the south course, right, assuming you do that from time to time, do you, do you, do you listen to these conversations, what players are saying about um, the experience they just have with the idea that maybe, you know what, I, I might be able to learn something from these everyday weekend warrior players that maybe I could apply on the north course or another project um do you ever do you ever find yourself doing that i do you know um you know everybody um can have a relevant point and you can learn something from everybody even a you know a 25 handicapper there can be some relevance into you know his game and that obviously reflects a fair portion of the population so there is always relevance so you know i've been doing this for uh 40 years uh, coming up here, basically in February. Uh, So it's been a long time and um, I've heard a lot of things. Some, you know, it's sort of, it goes straight in and straight out, but some of it stays locked in the vault and certainly in the right situation at the right property and the right circumstances, that may, uh, you know, I may unravel some of that and use that basically and incorporate some of those thoughts that I'd heard um, because like I said, they're all um, really important. And yes, I've read, you know, hundreds of pages, um, maybe thousands of pages of golf books and, and data. And there's so many different perspectives. I don't think there's a right or wrong, but certainly there's things that, um, you know, the better player who would certainly be more listened to in terms of, you know, their accomplishments and what they feel the golf course should be. So, but I think everybody can, you know, can there's takeaways that everybody can provide. So do you, to answer your question, yes, I, I yeah. do listen to everybody. <laughs> Do you believe in having uh, a signature hole? I know that you mentioned to me that you you kind of have a signature green for the North Course, but is there one at the North Course that's a signature hole besides a signature green? And can you tell people about the green? Well, I would say it's probably going to be um, the postage stamp. Um, uh, we um, probably gone a little off the reservation uh, since the public <laughs> golf. I've used a U.S. mail stamp 
more so than a postage stamp. It's a little bit bigger than postage stamp, but it's in the same mathematical equation of the postage stamp to the other greens uh, at that property. So um, I think that uh, people will really like that. And the view from that green, uh, you will now see San the city of San Francisco with some of the tree eucalyptus uh, that we've removed. So it's a pretty um, daunting site. And I think it'll be a fun hole. It's only 126 yards, but I think it's going to be one of those holes where uh, you either really love it or you uh, will curse it. And uh, <laughs> I think Reese Jones said to me, he said, don't blame me if you go into the bunker because the bunkers there will be pretty perilous um, on a short hole like that. I think it'll be certainly if, you know, signature, it'll be certainly one of the most talked about holes on that golf course. Um, I think there's a number of really good fun holes out there. You know, we've got template holes that I think um, are a different rendition. They're not replicas, but they're renditions that I think people will really enjoy them. Scott, one last question for Mark. We've got about a minute and a half here. Um, I was just going to ask if, you know, what what sort of challenges you might have faced uh, or continue to face there at Carica versus maybe other properties you've worked on, such as Monterey Peninsula and, and Kings Barnes over in, in Scotland? Um, you know, all the golf courses that I've worked on, this um, – has had its challenge, but I think every golf course project has its challenges. The biggest upside of this property is when it's 100 degrees out in the valley uh, or over in Walnut Creek uh, where I live uh, and it's 80 degrees here, um, I'll take that every day of the week. I actually, my whole team uh, and crew will probably be disappointed when we have to move to another site where it is 100 degrees and we've got to work in that 100 degrees. We've had some pretty um, spectacular weather here over the last seven years of the build uh, on this property. And uh, I will take that any day of the week. Um, so that's sort of been the upside of, uh, of the build here that uh, the weather has just made it absolutely gorgeous to work in. And that's, you don't always get that. Scotland can be cold. Uh, when I did, was, did some work there, it was in December. So it was dark early at, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon. It was miserably cold. Uh, Monterey with the fog set in in, in June and July, uh, you know, it's 50, 60 degrees. Uh, I, I love 80 degrees in Alameda. That's, uh, that's the sweet spot. <laughs> I witnessed uh, or observed the, the construction of golf courses a lot in, in Southeast Asia, and, and the issue there was the heat, the humidity, <laughs> just crippling. I, could, yeah. I remember thinking at times, oh, my gosh, I could not imagine being out here uh, building this right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I did have done a couple of projects uh, in humid uh, tropical, subtropical environments, and when it's hot and humid, it is absolutely brutal. It's, you've got to force yourself to keep drinking water, otherwise you yeah. get dropped like Louis the Fly, as we'd say in Australia. Start seeing stars. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yep. yep. Well, Mark, hey, this has uh, been so much fun. we got to wrap this thing up. Uh, I told you we'd make this kind of short and sweet. you got to get back on the course and, and continue the wonderful work you're doing there on the north course. So we appreciate you taking the time. Uh, like I've told everyone, this is going to be an absolute gem when it's completely finished. I can't wait to get on it when you open uh, the, the first nine holes here this summer. And congratulations to you and your team on what is going to be uh, a, a masterpiece, uh, I think, uh, for the long term. So appreciate you, man. Thanks. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me. And uh, when you come out, uh, we'll have a. I'll make sure I got a couple of VBs in stock, and I'll bring there them over we so we can, we can knock them down. How's that? Now we're talking. Okay, perfect, Sounds guys. Great. Thanks, appreciate Sounds it, great. guys. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Cheers, mate. Next week, we're talking playoffs, broadcasting, and acting with former NFL Pro Bowl offensive lineman Lincoln Kennedy. 
may even talk a little Husky football too. But before we sign off episode 11, if you've been frequenting this podcast, you've heard me talk about being one of the millions of Americans navigating unemployment these days, which means I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. And I have to say, I've been fortunate to connect with some amazingly talented people. This past week, I was contacted by UK singer-songwriter Dan Hughes. He shared his latest track with me, and I was just blown away. In dark times, it's the sort of tune that just makes you feel good. He said I could share it, all rights reserved, of course. Find him on Facebook, at Dan Hughes Music 100, on YouTube, Dan Hughes, or his website, danhughesmusic.com. People helping people. That's what we're about here on the I'm Not Steve Kerr podcast. We'll be back with episode 12 next week, Lincoln Kennedy. Until then, the song is titled Feels Like Thunder. Enjoy.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.